the reason why people go to libraries is not necessarily to see books. Uh, I think it's much more for the sense of community and added value to their learning experience that they receive at the library. Museums and libraries have served an irreplaceable role in our communities as curators, as gatekeepers, as guides, teachers, and harborers of all the world's knowledge. Well, a nearly irreplaceable role, many would argue that the web is in charge of holding on to content now and that ones and zeros are replacing the old brick-and-mortar institutions in our communities. But how is the digital generation engaging with libraries and museums? Is their role just changing? Could these institutions actually be more important now than ever before? This week, David Weinberger spoke to someone with on-the-ground knowledge. Susan Hildreth is the director of the Institute of Museum and Library Services. She comes from a background of running libraries from Seattle to New Jersey to San Francisco. And as director of the IMLS, she helps support the nation's 123,000 libraries and 17,500 museums. On the IMLS site, it says that it's an OB. Got a quote. It's, quote, dedicated to creating strong libraries and museums that connect people to information and ideas. So as you uh, take up this, this, this challenge, what are the particular obstacles um, these days to making that connection? Wow, that's a huge question. I think that one of the challenges for IMLS is that we really are here to serve and strengthen the capacity of museums and libraries, uh, which in turn will provide learning opportunities and community engagement, civic engagement for our users. I think the uh, point of view currently in Washington is conveying what kind of impact all our federal agencies are having directly on our citizens. And of course, we are having a positive impact. We know that. But it can be challenging sometimes to tell that story uh, when our primary audiences are museums and libraries. Some of the challenges that libraries and our museums are facing are, you know, people are getting so much of their information through a wide variety of sources, through mobile devices, um, the publishing world, the, the journalism world. They're all really changing so radically how do institutions like museums and libraries keep pace with our ever-changing information society to help convey information to um, interested parties, to preserve information, to make information accessible? I mean, in a way, uh, libraries and museums are, are focused on the continuum of, of information in a variety of formats through the earliest of objects to the most current of e-books. And how do we make that available, accessible, discoverable? That is a challenge, but I think if we take advantage of all the wonderful opportunities and discoveries and inventions that are uh, being that are happening all around us, we can make it happen. I think we're in a society right now where we must rely on uh, crowdsourcing, on everyone's ability to create. Uh, and to discover and to make information accessible. I think the, our institutions are coming from a place of knowledge and a gatekeeping role, 
and the world uh, no longer accepts that role. So we have to assume the role of navigator, teacher, trainer, facilitator uh, to provide information and resources to our users. And although I think we've made great progress and mo in moving to that uh, primary role, uh, changing from gatekeeper to facilitator, I still think that's a challenge in some of our institutions. Well, so let me ask you the um, the blunt question: if it's a if it's changing from uh, gatekeeper to navigator, anybody can be a facilitator of that. Anybody, anybody, just about literally anybody who has an internet connection can provide links, a channel, or build a site that that curates and and conditions and contextualizes. What is the special s skills and, and capabilities that uh, libraries and museums and the people who, who run them have uh, to offer in this environment? That's a challenging question. <laughs> um, what do we have to offer? I, I think, first of all, um, museums and libraries have established a sense of community trust that I think, although um, I don't want to to rely too much on that, and I don't want to, that I don't want museums or libraries to have that as a false sense of security, because many people are reliant and trustful of whatever is on the web. But I do think in our communities, at the community level, libraries and museums have a have a great level of trust, and also have the unique role. Uh, particularly in this case, I think the library has the unique role and ability to bring together a variety of, of resources or uh, points of view and also serve as a community convener. So, so anybody can, you know, pick a topic and, you know, write about it on the web, but I think that libraries and museums are unique in their ability to bring together a variety of points of view and their knowledge of what's happening in their communities around certain topics. By co coordinating or integrating a variety of sources of in information, they can provide a great benefit to the community and in a way pre-vet uh, topics so they are ready uh, for community discussion and engagement. What do we know or what are we seeing already about the generational uh, change of the younger users of museums and libraries? How, how, is, how is this manifesting already? You know, it's fascinating to me um, that, that I think we, we are appealing to younger users. I think institutions that are... Um, that are willing to uh, engage in conveying their content, resources, whatever, through mobile devices are, are really getting a, a leg up on other institutions. But uh, last year while I was working as the, the library director of the Seattle Public Library, we were involved in strategic planning and we did a, a large online community survey. It was, interesting to, it was interesting to me, we were fortunate enough to have teen librarians on staff, and they really got out uh, the teen <laughs> uh, audience to complete the survey online. But it was amazing to me that when we looked at our, the, the knowledge of all the services that the library offered by demographics, you know, age characteristics, our teen audiences 
knew the most about what the library was offering and were taking advantage of a variety of activities um, from book groups to uh, creating their own uh, reviews of books for other teens to um, doing digital literacy for people in their community. So um, I, I find that young people are engaging in libraries and museums, but I, but I think the way they're engaging or they're most most interested and most successful when they can be involved in creating what is what is happening at the institution and not necessarily just be the receiver of information although I'm sure they have to they want to use that in some cases for school assignments or whatever but I think the way to engage youth is to um, ask their opinion, respond to that opinion, be proactive in working with them and also use their knowledge of technology and the current uh, information world to help uh, others who may not be as far along as they are. So you've got both museums and libraries under your purview. Do you find that the shift that we are going through is pulling the, the interests of those two sorts of institutions together, or is it driving them apart or simply shifting it, or none of the above? The marriage, if you will, of museums and libraries uh, probably, I don't know, 13 to 14 years ago now at the federal level was, um, I think in a way it was a marriage of convenience, <laughs> not necessarily uh, absolutely strategic. But I do think that um, at this point at least in where we are in society, Museums and libraries both have a significant role as in contributing to the learning of our communities. And I also think when we look at libraries and museums and we look at how information in our world is, is provided in a variety of formats, I think that uh, museums and libraries are the key uh, resources for content in our communities. And we are really different resources or different uh, collections of content. And I think what we have in common is that uh, museums and libraries want to make that content readily available to the public. They want to curate the content so that they can increase the value of it, contextualize it. And they want to help uh, individuals uh, learn about their local history, learn about a wide variety of interests, uh, provide a venue for lifelong learning. So in terms of enriching our users' lives with content, I think that, in fact, may be the, the key organizing principle that libraries and museums have, particularly in a digital age. We have some museums that are, have, have engaged with the digital world quite readily. I think we have others that have tended to, to some extent, shy away from it because they are concerned that if objects are available digitally or in the virtual world, then individuals won't come to, to view those objects face-to-face -face or in a physical environment. And I strongly believe that uh, having um, 
uh, discovering collections, museum collections virtually, will um, increase individuals' interest in going to observe the actual physical collection uh, in many cases, or at least uh, drive more traffic to the museum. So I think the library world has, uh, probably, probably because of our dedication to print co content, which has so rapidly become electronic, I think libraries may be a bit uh, more advanced um, than museums in terms of working with digital content. But I do think uh, both worlds that n know that that's a, a very important mechanism for us to uh, invest in digital content uh, to continue our relevance in society. Do you feel that just as digitizing content is likely to drive people into museums to see the originals, that digitizing library content is likely to have the same effect or, or likely to keep people out of libraries because they can get the e-book uh, at home? Well, you know, I, I would say probably within the last 10 years, the pure, you know, ready reference information game has gone virtual. It's gone to virtual reference services that most public and academic libraries have invested in or providing already. So I think that the reason why individuals come to libraries is much more for um, contact with their community members, uh, opportunities to get help on certain kinds of learning activities, uh, group study in some cases, uh, programming. There's a lot of public programming going on at libraries. So I don't think that individuals are necessarily coming to libraries um, to look at physical objects. They may, in the case of local history or specialized collections, but that's not, uh, to me, the more information that's available um, easily electronically is suits uh, you know serves the purpose and the goal and mission of libraries. So you know in the Seattle Public Library again, where I recently was for the last several years, we had on an annual basis probably 14 to 15 million visitors every year, and about half of those visitors were virtual visitors that came to our website. Now they may very well have come through the doors too. But we had tremendous use virtually, and we had tremendous support in the community. So I think um, with the ever-changing format of information, the reason why people go to libraries is not necessarily to see books. Uh, I think it's much more for the sense of community and added value to their learning experience that they receive at the library. Do you have the same idea about what the Digital Public Library of America might be? That it could be a place that you go to get a book, or, or in addition, it could be a place in which you go to engage with others about the works in the library. I see the Digital Public Library as a, as a very equitable resource that would be available through all our institutions of learning and would provide um, all of our users and learners with great access to information. But I also think the flip side of the Digital Public Library and something that most libraries will be dealing with over the next um, 10 to 20 years is the managing and stewardship of what I'll call now legacy collections, which really will be print collections, and in some cases, 
various formats that have been superseded by other formats in terms of electronic connections. So it could be that in the long run, the Digital Public Library of America provides access to digital content and also probably through some kind of regional storage facilities would provide access to print uh, materials if, if individuals should need those. I don't think that DPLA has, has thought through uh, to, the, to the end game of how we will handle all our print uh, materials once everything or practically everything is digital. But I think it's a really interesting um, thought that we could, that the Digital Public Library would also ultimately be a provider of uh, print materials. Uh, so I, I should note that uh, DPLA is very much in a formative s stage, uh, but it's actually it's fascinating to hear you suggest that. It, uh, so I'm going to put this maybe a little um, differently, but that the digital is uh, might encompass even the the real. And I, don't, I mean, we haven't talked about that. As you said, it's in the formative stages. But I, but I do think that as more and more of our intellectual content becomes digital, we still do have uh, a desire and, uh, in fact, a mantle, if you will, to preserve uh, some of our paper content. And, uh, you know, I don't know if everything's going to end up digitized, and there may, be for, there may be a reason that somebody, as you say, might want to see the paper object. <laughs> so I, I have in the back of my mind a grand plan that uh, we will, at some point in this country, have regional storage facilities that encompass uh, the collections of many, many institutions, including public libraries and academic libraries and other types of libraries, in some kind of regional uh, setting so that we can certainly decrease the cost that we're spending on actually storage of multiple copies of materials, yet still preserve the printed word so that we can have that for generations to come. And these would be, these regional centers would enable somebody who needed to see a book to, right. to actually yeah. see it. So. And it could very well not be a facility that's necessarily open to the public, but be a regional storage facility that continues to uh, have dis have distribution mechanisms to other entities, whatever they are. If if they are museums or libraries or community centers, where that where that kind of surface is being provided, who knows what will happen in the next twenty to fifty years? Well, Kevin Kelly has been talking about the need to keep um, specimen specimens in the way that uh, biologists keep mm -hmm. the original specimen of the of the first time the first beetle that was found of that right. species. So, well, that's fascinating. Thank you very much. Good. Susan Hildreth is the director of the Institute of Museum and Library Services. You can find out more about them at imls.gov. Library Lab, the podcast, was brought to you by the Harvard Library Innovation Lab at Harvard Law School. The theme music comes Creative Commons licensed from Brad Sucks, who you can find at bradsucks.net. We're interviewing a number of innovators, scholars, and publishers about the future of the written word. If you like this episode, why not follow along with us at librarylab.law.harvard.edu, where you can find out more about our work, including info on today's guest, join a discussion, and share this podcast with others. And now you can also find today's podcast, as well as all the previous episodes, available in MP3 and AUG formats and subscribable in iTunes. This show was produced by me, Daniel Dennis-Jones, and David Weinberger, with the support of the Harvard Law School.